This episode of the CU Insight Experience is brought to you by Elan Credit Card. Elan partners with more than 250 credit unions to provide an outsourced credit card program. Welcome to episode 142 of the show. I am Randy Smith, one of the co-founders of CUinsight.com, and this show is all about taking a deep dive with the leaders inside and outside of credit, the credit union movement who help make it so great. And today we have one of those folks from outside, Nick Tassler from Nick, you're you're an internationally acclaimed thought leader, uh, an author. I, I was looking at your uh, your books on your website beforehand, and you're also going to be the upcoming keynote for our next minicon event. Nick, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Also, a, a bit of a nomad like myself, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, guilty as charged on all of the above, Randy, and, and and super excited to be here. Well, we appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, I guess I'd like to start with, I'm always interested to find out that path. How did you get to where you are today? What's that career path look like from you? Did you start out saying, I want to be an author, I want to be a keynote speaker and thought leader to, to businesses? <laughs> well, let's see. So where to be? So when I was a boy... I, no, I won't go back that far, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've always been fascinated with uh, with psychology and business and the way that um, groups of people and organizations work together and function. And, you know, as a side note, I've always liked to write. And so I um, feel very fortunate that the, the way that this, I'd like to say it was all a well-scripted plan, <laughs> but the reality is, I think if we're all honest, nobody's followed a well-scripted plan, right? It's it's a matter of like, we have this vision, we have this idea of, of who we think we are and who we want to be and where we want to go. And then it's a matter of, of seizing opportunities and taking chances. And that was really the, the case for me. So did you start in like corporate America or academics or it was it always, you know, kind of this direction writing and I, I did, you know, and it's always been like like a foot in two worlds. Like, for example, when I graduated from college, my two choices were I was either going to go into management consulting, and if I got a job at the places I wanted to get a job at, I would do that. And if I didn't, then I was going to go to graduate school, right? And, <laughs> and I would be in the, the academic route. And fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, I did get one of those jobs. And so... I went into management consulting, and which was nice, and it gave me some good, grounded business, real-world experience, but I decided I wasn't done learning yet. And so I eventually, about four or five years later, went back to graduate school with the plan of getting a PhD, and uh, a couple years into my program, uh, I was fortunate enough to get a book deal with a major publisher, so writing that book kind of became my dissertation, you know, my PhD, if you will. Absolutely. Wow, that's cool. You know, I was reading one of your bios online, just, you know, doing a little bit of homework for this conversation and something jumped out at me where it, it, it sounds like what you were talking about, but it said your dream is to spend, you know, every working moment writing and speaking about the, and that was, this was the line that jumped out at me about the latest, greatest insights to help us turn unpredictable changes into meaningful and exciting adventures. Uh, I like adventures. So what, what are you working on right now? Or what has <laughs> Nick excited right now when you're talking to groups? Yeah, well, you know, one of the things I'm really excited about is this notion of of a year of wonders. And in fact, my keynote to to the group next month is is going to be about that, right? And and so really what it is is so let me tell you why why I'm excited about it personally. 
So, you know, you saw that I'm nomadic by nature. And, you know, the to, to put some numbers to that nom- nomadism, I guess, if that's a word, yeah, I don't right, know. Yeah. But um, <laughs> nomadicness is, uh, you know, in my 43 years on Earth, I've, I've changed homes 31 times. And, and you know, uh, <laughs> awesome. my family moved 11 times before I graduated from high school. And then, like, I just picked up the torch and just kept on going, right? You know, it's like, my, I'm, I'm one of four kids and my two brothers and my sister, all four of us were born in different places and graduated from different high schools. So do they all move around also, or did they just stick, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> more or less, I think maybe I still have the record. Um, but, uh, but they're not too far behind, you know, and, you know, you contrast it to say my, my wife, her parents, still live in the house that they built two years before she was born in 1971 and they will, right. you know, they yeah. will die yeah. there, yeah. you know? So like we come from, <laughs> from different worlds, right? And I've turned her to the dark side. And so she's made all these moves with me. Right. But what I love about it, right. Is, is get back to your question of, you know, what, what has me excited. And it's this idea of a year of wonders. And this is something I discovered when the pandemic first started is that, you know, Isaac Newton, uh, I read this article about how during his own quarantine, his pandemic experience during an outbreak of the bubonic plague was was like the most creative period of his life. This like, you know, 12 to 18 months, you know, so I put on my, my researcher hat and I dug more into that idea. And it turns out that's not really a coincidence. Like our brains are wired to respond to confusing disorienting, sometimes even scary circumstances with this like little used creativity, you know, like we all have some creativity, but there's like parts of our brain that kind of lie dormant until they're called upon, like until they see like the bat signal up in the sky. And in, in many cases, it's a, it's a crisis. It's a tragedy. It's a, it's a crazy turn of events that will activate that. Right. And it produces this year of wonders. Now, you know, so being someone who who's I've spent, you know, my entire career, a couple decades as an organizational psychologist studying the link between change and growth and unexpected changes and personal and, and organizational growth, I found this idea totally fascinating. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So so that's what I'm excited about. I love it. I can't wait to hear your keynote. Something else I saw on the website was you talked in one of your books, I believe, maybe in a couple of them, about being someone who is highly adaptive. So I kind of had a, a couple, you know, different questions on that. Number one, does it go into what has you excited right now still, right? Like to be adaptive in those times of change, right? Um, but then I was also wondering, you know, many of the listeners of the show are CEOs of credit unions. Like, so it's not only did do they have to be highly adaptive, I would think, to be successful, but do organizations also have to be highly adaptive to, to be successful in this day and age we live in where things change very quickly, right? So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, at this point, I would say it's so true. It's almost cliche to say you have to be adaptable, right? I'm obviously not the first person <laughs> to, to say that. The, the, the organization needs to be adaptable, needs to be agile, right? That's the big buzzword. And I think, you know, it's interesting when I look at the kinds of adaptations that have been made in organizations over the past couple of years. And one of the things 
that I was I was researching that I expected to find but didn't, and this I think is going to be really relevant for credit unions, right? Is yeah. I expected to find lots of pivots, right? That became the buzzword: pivots. Everybody's pivoting, pivoted, pivot this, pivot that, <laughs> pivot left, pivot right, you know, right? And uh, to the point where that became a cliche. So I, I expected to find all these crazy, like we used to, we used to do X, and now we're doing Y, and we used to go left, and now we're going right, and up, and down, and north, and south, and and whatever. And, Really, what I found through all my re- it was just sort of like, it, was, it was one of those journeys where it was disappointing in the beginning because I was not finding what I was expecting to find, and then it was like I had the insight. Well, wait a second, maybe there's there's another trend here. There's another lesson that we're supposed to be learning. And really, when I looked at it from this new lens, is there's another story being told here that the pandemic did have a profound effect on organizations. But what it did rather than rather than them pivoting so much, it's more like they penetrated deep into their core. Like they got back to the deepest parts of their identity. And so in some cases it just meant like, you know, we've had these core values that have been nice placards, things that we hang up on the wall and every now and then we post them on our website. But it's like now we are living them like we are going. They are our anchor in, in the middle of this storm. And what it's done is it's like it's allowed these organizations to adapt and transform and innovate. But they're innovating from like their core identity, like they've rediscovered who they really are, not cast it out. I, I wonder if there is there any slipping back as everything opened back up. Right. It'd be Interesting to see down the road if like we all maybe. Like in that survival mode, we kind of became uber focused on like what we are at the core. Like you're saying, do we over time get a little bit lazier about that and start, you know, spreading our wings a little more or something? Yeah, well, you know, I think lazy or experimental, you know, it's six yeah. and one, yeah. half a dozen. Yeah. yeah, they're right. You know, so it's like yeah. <laughs> at some point we all have to keep trying new, th- like testing the boundaries, right? Maybe that's the best way to put it. So like. You know, if we get too stagnant on doing things the way that we've always done them, we're going to get into trouble. At the same time, it's like what we have is worth preserving and and who we are as organizations, it it matters. It matters to, you know, in in your case, it matters to your members. It matters to your your shareholders. But does that mean that we, we, we don't have to evolve our technology or we don't have to evolve the way that we serve them. No, of course, you have to keep making those evolutions, seeing what's the better way to be who we are in this environment and six months from now in this environment. And it's like, you know, as human beings, we never stop growing. We, we never stop evolving and the organizations are, should be the same. This may be a dumb question, but like you've mentioned, you know, you've been do- doing this and researching it and working in this for a couple of decades now. Has the pace of change and the need to evolve quicker sped up over the past two decades? <laughs> well, it's certainly sped up over the last two years. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think the, you know, the pace of change was, was all the rage as early as the 90s, right? That it was, you know, I mean, the like, prime example, the magazine Fast Company started in the 90s 
because of the rate of change. Like the companies had to be fast. So that part is not so much new and has has the actual pace. Well, I think it's varied by industry, depending on which industry you're in, the pace has changed. But certainly, I think over the last couple of years, and you can speak more intelligently than me about whether you think the credit union pace of change has gotten faster. I would imagine, once again, it would certainly gotten faster over the last two years. Since 2000, from 2000 to 2020, I don't know. What do you think? You are 100% right in the past two years that pace of change is there. But I think it was happening beforehand also with fintech and outside traditional financial service players coming in, you know, like Apple and Google and, you know, PayPal and all those. So, yeah, no, it's... uh that to me is interesting. It's a question that I've asked often on the, the the podcast to you know CEOs of credit unions. I'd kind of like to pick your brain on this one too. And you mentioned it is like that traditionally financial services across the board has been very much, and I'm doing the air quotes. That's the way we've always done it. And we've seen that change over the past few years. How do we as individuals, but also as organizations get out of that mindset? And, and maybe even from like more of a leadership standpoint, that idea of like, if you're the CEO, you're on the senior leadership team, making sure that your team isn't like, well, no, that's how we do it. That's our way of doing it, right? Yeah. I mean, look, it's the million, maybe billion dollar question, uh, <laughs> depending on the size of your organization, right? And so how do we do it? And I don't know if there's if there's a silver bullet necessarily, but I think there's a couple things that that you can do as leaders. One, the psychology of the leadership trickles to to the rest of of the organization. So one thing is, you know, you can show up and if you act either scared of of what's happening or complacent and like sort of blase about the fact that the world is changing, that will likely trickle down to the leader. So a number one, the first thing you can do is get your own head in the right place and, and really do some reflection on how do I want to be showing up? And I just, I, I talked to this group, the FedEx this morning, and I, and I told this story with about my kids, you know, and like how I wanted to make this point to them. I wanted to show them during the pandemic that we were thinking about that I was going to have to move because, you know, we're in Puerto Rico and Puerto Rico was on this huge shutdown. I couldn't get cameras. I couldn't get microphones, tripods, everything I do turned virtual, right? But, but I wanted to send them a message that, that when things around us change and the way that we've always done things requires a little bit of an update or an upgrade, we don't just throw our hands up and quit, you know, like we double down on our innate adaptive potential and we keep looking for new solutions. We keep testing, we keep experimenting, we keep trying new things. But ultimately, my point was, I can tell that, I can tell them that until I'm blue in the face. They are going to take their cues from what I do, not what I say, from my tone, not from my words, right? So I would say that's, that's one starter. So then that leads into the next obvious question is like, how do we as leaders get in the right frame of mind so that we are exhibiting the right behaviors? And there's lots of things we can do. One of the things that, that's one of my favorite ways, it's sort of a new idea in the last 10 or 15 years in, in terms of like academic psychology is there's a, a notion called psychological distancing. And essentially what that means is like one great way to apply it is to just ask yourself in 10 years from now and to think about that. Okay, I am, I'm 43 years old right now. In 10 years, I'm going to be 53. 
my kids are going to be, you know, 17, 20. I, I don't I forget how old they are. There's too many of them to keep track of, but, um, but they're going to be older, right? And so you think about now, put yourself in that place. When I look back on this moment in time, on this season, how do I want to remember responding to what's happening right now? Right? Do I want to do I want to remember burying my head in the sand? Do I want to remember stepping up and, and saying, no matter what the world throws at me, I am adaptable. And so are you. And so are we. And, and so it's really kind of like, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, casting a vision for leadership and whatever. And, and psychologically, what's happening here is like, regardless of whether the vision is, is really good or, or it's kind of trash, you know, I think one of the key things is just simply asking people to think about the future, reflect on their future selves. How do I want to show up today? And will my future self be glad of what I'm about to do, of the choices that I'm going to make right now? Or am I going to regret? Am I going to say, I wish I would have taken that chance. I wish I would have tried that thing and not been so concerned with preserving the status quo. I like that. L- let me ask you this. You work with a lot of different organizations. W- what makes a good leader, a good CEO? Is- are there traits that you see kind of coming to the top over and over? Yeah, boy, that's a great question. There's literally reams of research on that. You know, there is a notion, right? That's not mine. It's been around for a while of situational leadership. And I do think there's something to that, that there is, rather than saying, this is, if you don't mind, I'll give give you a little history of of leadership, right? So the dominant paradigm in the 20th century was, was what's called sort of like the great man ideal. Okay. Which you can see it's, (laughs) you can already tell by its title, the great man, that this is like a historical (laughs) (laughs) outdated notion. Right. But the idea though, was, was that there are like these five things that make a hero, a great leader. And I do think there's some commonalities. There's some common traits, but part of it is, you know, really great leaders in wartime don't make the greatest leaders in peacetime. I believe it was Don Corleone that said, you know, you're not a wartime consigliere, Tom. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> right? That's fantastic movie. I'm, I'm glad there's a Godfather reference here today. <laughs> so. <laughs> that's, that's right. You know, it's like taking it back to the old school, you know. But um, yeah. So within that, I think there's some certain for now, if I were to say right now, what are key traits in this situation for most companies in most industries, I would say certainly it's like empathy slash vulnerability, like it's being able to relate to people. And I think that's, you know, that's been maybe one of the big changes from say the leaders of 70s, 80s, maybe even 90s that we're really seeing this, this massive shift on, which is that kind of like, you know, so when I when I first started my career in management consulting, I was working for a large oil company that shall remain nameless but I was, I was down in Houston and I remember people telling me that like the CEO of this company, so this is like a gigantic, you know, over hundreds of thousands of employees and whatever. And the CEO who had been CEO for a long time and created great shareholder returns and whatever, like he would go eat in the company cafeteria and sit over in a corner by himself. And it was like, like known that you don't talk to him. Like, you know, he sort of levitates into the room 
and and then he levitates out and he shall not be spoken to. And I think that kind of leadership is gone now. And the whole idea of, you know, you get to be this um, this sort of force of nature that doesn't make a connection with people, doesn't really pay attention. You just, you know, the numbers, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's gone. I'm thinking about like, as we're looking forward and we're building teams, you know, there's there's a couple of different directions, I guess, that were bouncing around my head. Part of it is like, it's been kind of interesting. You've seen kind of that hybrid approach to what work life may look like going forward. You and I both obviously work from many different places and have that ability, but uh, and, and a lot more we were kind of outliers, I think, a few years back, probably. Um, but now a lot of people have that. But also, like that idea of building teams, you, you just talked about what makes a great leader when you're. So I was kind of, I had kind of a monkey mind here of a bunch of questions that were bouncing around. But like that idea of, okay, if you're the CEO, but you're building out your leadership team, the maybe the a person who was strong because they were brought up in that. Jack Welsh style of leadership or whoever it happens to be, right? Now you're looking for a more empathetic and, you know, even just the way that the workspace looks could be completely different than where people are and stuff. I guess any tips, any hacks, anything that you're seeing that people are doing successful when they're filling out that leadership team, when they're filling out the the, the management teams and completely just a outside random question, but I'm so intrigued by it right now is what do you think the workplace looks like now that we're We've moved past the pandemic. And what does work look like for the, the, the person that's graduating from college maybe over the next couple of years? Yeah, well, those, are, those are two good questions. And, you know, the first one, I, I think companies are good leadership teams. They're, they're now paying maybe more attention than ever to not just the resume, but the culture fit for all the reasons we were talking about. And, and how they're doing that, I mean, that, they, that can take a lot of different forms, but it's like, they're getting to know them as people, not just you check all these boxes of you've got the right, you know, you went to this school, you majored in this, you have this background, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, those things matter. And, and maybe that's like how you get down to your last three candidates. But from there, it's really, it's it's the culture fit. Like, are they going to damage this this sort of fragile family, you know, even, even if you're not like uh, that intimate of a, of a team, it's still in some ways, there is a family dynamic on every team. And are, are they going to support that? Or are they going to hurt that? Right. And in some cases, of course, maybe the fi- family dynamic is a little toxic. And, and maybe you want this person in precisely because they're going to bring a new element to the family dynamic. Um, but, but it's still like, it's asking the question of, how are they going to fit personality-wise and, and attitude-wise into this culture? And is that what we want for this member of the team, in addition to what they bring to the table with their professional experience? So that would be my one thing to think about there. Place. <laughs> you know, this, this is a really interesting question. And I, I think we're just scratching the surface of where this is all going to end up. I think most leaders don't even know. Like, everybody's yeah. really just kind of yeah. like, I'll give you a prime example. My wife's sister-in-law works for a large bank and they had determined last summer that come September, so September of 2021, everybody's back in the office. And they were talking about like corporate staff now, right? And that meant like going to downtown in the middle of the city. And, you know, there was a lot of people that were just like, no, 
I'm not, you know, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not going back, you know? And so basically they got a lot of pushback. And so they had made a decision that they then had to backtrack and say, okay, maybe not. Now we're going to make it optional. And so this, this notion of place, I don't think, I don't think we know where it's going to land yet. My prediction based on, in my personal professional (laughs) opinion, I think what we're going to see is it's going to go back to this culture question. And we're going to see some organizations that say we are a in-person, hands-on, person-to-person, like sharing proximity culture. And then you're going to see others that say we are a freedom. We want you to express your whole self, be who you need to be, wherever you need to be. As long as the results happen you can do whatever you want with your life and you can define place however you want. And people will start choosing their job based on which of those places they want. Which fits in. So I want to be respectful of your time, but it wouldn't. we're coming up on a half hour now and it wouldn't be the See You Inside experience without a few rapid fire questions at the end to, to have a little fun <laughs> here. So that I'll throw the questions out fast, but take as much time as you want to answer them. I, I just started asking this question recently and it's probably just a because I like being amazed. But when was the last time, either personally or professionally, something amazed you? Something amazed me. <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, I'm just going to, I'm going to do like a free association test. Absolutely, uh, yep. <laughs> the first thing that, that came to my mind when you said that was when my daughter was born. And now, now right, right as soon as I say that, I know that sounds totally cheesy and like, oh, isn't it right? What I, what I mean by that is I was amazed is because before her, we had three boys. Okay. And I don't know, we're old school or we're hippies. I'm not sure how you want to say it, but we never found out the sex of any of our babies, right? Until the, they were born. And so at that point, my wife and I were both convinced we have boys. That's just, that's you just, just have boys. That's, that's what, what do. we do. It's not necessarily <laughs> what we choose. But that's apparently all we do. Like all I can produce is a Y chromosome, you know? And and so when my daughter was born and I'm there and she comes out and I'm like, there's something wrong with this one. This this one's missing something, right? (laughs) Right. And so that was, you know, that was the last time I was amazed. Like, oh my gosh, this is like real. I have a daughter. But anyway. I love it. That's a great answer. So I'll make the assumption. I assume you travel quite a bit too for your job. Um, and, and many of the people that listen to this show, obviously, as CEOs and you know leaders have, let's just say, invested a lot into their career. Sometimes that can, uh, uh, at the detriment of, let's say, the personal relationships. You mentioned your wife and your kids. Uh, any hacks that you've picked up along the way to I try to stay away from that work-life balance, but to create that balance and still make sure that that dad and husband are there too? Yeah, that's a great one. I could I could like talk your ear off for another hour about this one. <laughs> so <laughs> I think for me it's like it's it's physical boundaries, which is hard when you mostly work from home, but I have certain places in my house that like I never bring my laptop. Like I never bring my laptop into the family room. That's just I just don't work there ever ever ever. Not even like, oh, you know, I got a couple things, a couple emails I want to send. It's like there are certain zones that are work zones and and personal zones. And so on a daily basis, that's probably a, a big thing. Um, that's a big one that's uh, that I've had to learn over you know the hard way because taking some bumps and bruises. But you know eventually, like 
like many of you listening right now, and probably like you too, Randy, is you got to where you are because you're driven and you're ambitious. I don't mean like ambitious in like a negative way, but you're disciplined and you're driven. And these are all really good traits that allowed you to, to be successful, but then you have a family, right? You know, this is the point of your question (laughs) is, um, how do you separate that? And I think that's it. So I have safe zones in my house. I have safe zones on my calendar, certain times when, you know, no matter what work is not going to happen at this time. I do that myself. So let me ask you this. What's the, uh, what's the greatest album of all time? That one you can listen to from front to back. Album, what album? Playlist, whatever. Album, I don't. That sounds like the great man theory of leadership, right? Um, All right, yeah, yeah, absolutely, so right? Yeah. When was the last time we bought? Yeah. So you know, I mean, if we're talking about now, it's probably it's it's playlists. Yeah, absolutely. But if I had to pick like an album, well, okay, I'm going to merge the questions here. My favorite playlist, which at one time was an album, was Monster Ballads. Um, ah, so, yeah. <laughs> so this is all the, the eighties glam rock. Uh, yeah, that's uh, fantastic. So first of all, is there your books? We will link to your books. You've done a lot of research. Is there that book that you think everybody should read or that you've gifted people over the years that maybe you didn't write? <laughs> so let's see. Then the a book that I've given away, the one that I love that I've actually had my kids. Well, I didn't have them read it, but li- we listened to it in the car is is Grit by Angela Duckworth. I don't know if you've heard of that book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. That's one of those that like I will listen to once a year. That is that is a good one. Uh, when you hear the word success, who's the first person that comes to mind and, and why? Warren Buffett. Okay. And the the reason why is, I mean, obviously, right? So he's uber wealthy. Um, but, but I think he's like respectably wealthy and, and that's what I think is like, so, you know, he's respectably wealthy in that he, he understands his place. He's not like, you know, the, the born on, on third base and thinks he hit a triple. He understands that the world for wealthy people is different than it is for people that aren't wealthy. And I'd love to, to like clone him and have, have more of those. And I'd say the other reason why Warren Buffett is because, you know, he's from Omaha, Nebraska. I'm from Iowa originally. Ah, and I'm okay. like this, there you go. Yep. <laughs> I'm this Midwestern guy. And so I think it's really cool that he's like able to dominate Wall Street from Omaha. There's just something, something really cool about that. I just in the past couple of weeks watched a documentary that he actually participated in, which was rare, like the Becoming Warren Buffett or something like that. But it was interviews with him and stuff, too. And it was it, it was fascinating. It really was. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. <laughs> well, that is all the time we have today. Any final thoughts you'd like to share or asks of our audience? Uh, like I said, we will link to absolutely everything in the show notes, including all your books. So hopefully people go out and buy them. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, th- that's good. I, th- I would say, uh, if, if you like what you heard and you, and you want to hear more, obviously you need to register for Minicon. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and beyond that, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. That'd be the one thing I'd say. That was going to be my last question was where people could find you if they have more questions. So we will link to LinkedIn and 
Go from there. And, and nicktasler.com. Uh, this, it's your source for all things Nick Tassler. For all things Nick. We love it. All right. Well, thank you again, my friend. I look forward to seeing you here just uh, shortly as we do Minicon here in a, in a few weeks. And uh, I appreciate so much you taking the time today. Thank you, Randy. It was great. A few things before we go. Make sure to check out Elan Credit Card in the show notes. They're digital technology industry leading rewards products and uh, commitment to the credit unions makes them a great partner for our show. I am grateful for their support. Also, please subscribe to the CU Insight Experience on your favorite podcast player. And then last but not least, Make sure if you if you want to find the books mentioned on the show, we'll, we link to all of those in the See You Inside Experience podcast book list, and they can be on your way from Amazon. Thank you all for listening. I cannot wait to see you in person at the next event, and have a great day, my friends.